Hi, I'm Joe, and this is the Decahedron RPG Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Joe. No James, because this is supposed to be a Feedback Friday, but it's not, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So today, instead of being a Feedback Friday, we're going to talk about what I call Crowfield-style campaigns. And why do I call it that? Because the campaign that I developed all these thoughts around is called Crowfield. It's kind of like, oh, I hate it when I forget a name, and I didn't write it down in my notes. Kind of like that dude who came up with the with the West Marchers campaign, and that was just the West Marchers of his world that for that particular campaign style. Crowfield is just one of my campaigns that this style was based upon. The name itself comes from a town in England. As I've said before, I used to live there back in the 80s, and I would drive from the castle to work. I call it the castle because, believe it or not, there was actually a castle in my backyard. It was owned by my landlord. Actually, I was in his backyard, I guess. In his back garden, as they would say over there, I guess. Yeah, he was my landlord, and he lived in a little castle. It was actually a manor house, but it still had the old gatehouse of a castle, and that's just cool. So I was I, I was I would drive from there to there and there and back. You know, there's all these towns I would see, and their names have stuck with me through the years. Uh, Radstone, Soulgrave, Crowfield, Helmden, Croughton, you know. Just just a bunch of them. So whenever I come up with a campaign, a lot of times I will use one of those towns to set it in. The name, I don't base it on the town itself. So that's where the name came from. But the whole point of a Crowfield-style campaign is for a sandbox-slash-exploration-style campaign. I want a campaign where the characters can do some hex-crawling, where... They can be based in this little town or whatever and go out and explore the unknown lands. As common of a concept that is, if you think about it logically, it always raises some questions. Like the ones off the top of my head is, how is this town surrounded by strange lands? Why don't they just ask anyone else in town, hey, what's five miles that way? What's five miles the other way? I mean, everyone in the town should know. The other question is, if it's this strange land where they don't know anything, how did they get there? How did they get in the middle of nowhere where they have to explore all around them? If they are in this strange land and a character dies, or you have a new player coming in the night or whatever, you know, for a night, or just a new member joining the group. Or I like to do open campaigns, so it's very revolving. If someone wants to join in for a night and then never join again, that's fine. If they want to join this week and we won't see them for three weeks, that's fine too. But how do you handle these new characters popping in and still not knowing anything of of the surrounding area? If the characters are in this strange land... How can they have any kind of meaningful backstory when everyone they knew, all their their family, all their connections are somewhere else? So those are the basic questions. A Crowfield-style campaign is designed to answer those. And pretty much what it involves, what you need for something to be a Crowfield-style campaign 
Well, a few things. Well, number one is that players are part of a large group of outsiders in the area. That's weird, outsiders in the area. But I, I think you understand what I mean, right? Like, if you if you jump through a magical portal and find yourself in a new world, you're an outsider. Now, if 300 of you do it, now that's like a Crowfield-style campaign. Now you can have your friends there with you. You can have your family. You can have stuff like that. Another thing that you need for a Crowfield-style campaign is that outside of the character's base... Each settlement, every town, village, whatever, in the area is separated by hostile wilderness. You need this, A, for for the sense of exploration, because you're going to be going through a lot of wilderness. You also need this to amp up the level of danger. Yeah, so it's it's a lot of about the, the feel of the setting, I guess. Oh, and it's a lot of, it explains the, the next point. The next point is that each settlement is largely in isolation from others. And you need this because you don't want the players to go to the first settlement and say, okay, well, we've popped in here from some other world or whatever. Just give us a map of everything that's around you. And then it's not that same level of exploration anymore. It's not that hex crawling into the unknown. So if the wilderness all around is hostile, like one of my areas is called the Dreadwood, and just falling asleep in the dreadwood could kill you because the plants themselves are alive and hostile and they will attack you. And that's not good for long-term survival. Uh, another part, you know, the firelands, it's the desert. And, you know, it's the fantasy desert where it's so hot, hot and hostile and everything that, you know, just a couple days is likely to lead to your demise and stuff like that. And... The last, I guess I would call it defining characteristic of a Crowfield style campaign, and this one is optional, but uh, it's something I like there to be, is that there is the potential for trade between the various settlements that as players get to know the area, they could, if they want, uh, turn it into a merchant campaign instead of an exploration campaign, or maybe a little bit of both, where they could go, you know, when they're in the town, they could go and say, hey, the price of red dye in this town was really cheap. We could buy it and transport it and sell it the next town for a profit. And I think that just adds another layer of um, another layer of gameplay to the game and another way for players to carve out a niche for themselves as merchant traders. So anyway, let me just give you a few examples of Crowfield style campaigns that I've done before. One that you've heard James and I talk about is... The Barony. He was a player in my Barony campaign. And this one was inspired by reading the old D&D books, you know, and it says when a fighter gets to 10th level, he can become a lord and set up his own place in the wilderness and has to clear out the hexes, blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm talking about. So in the Barony, this is exactly what's happening, except it's not the players that are doing it. It's some NPC, and the NPC is taking a whole group with them to start this barony, just to use the name again. And the full story behind the barony is that it's actually her brother had set out years before to set it up, and he disappeared. And much like the Jamestown settlement in America, it was found to be uh, empty and deserted, and no one knows what happens. And so 
like adds a layer of mystery, you know, but she goes to the same spot to try to set it up and also to figure out what happened to her brother. So that's the Barony campaign. Another one I have is called Bloodport Isle. There's actually an episode coming up about Bloodport in a little bit. But in essence, the story for Bloodport Isle is that uh, a while ago, a pirate got blown off course and he found this island and it's inhabited by goblins. I'm putting that in air quotes because that means different things depending on my mood that day. He figures he can take it over. So he goes back to the main world, again, air quotes, the main world, and he puts together a force and he tells everyone that he has found Atlantis. I call it Thelonia, my world, because it's a slightly different legend, but it's the equivalent. He tells everyone that he's found Atlantis. And so this way he gets a whole bunch of people to follow him and they go over and they take over a little part of the island and they're very cruel to the goblins, uh, killing them, enslaving them, etc. But they set up their outpost and that becomes the town of Newport, even later the town of Bloodport. And that, the way it's set up is so that the areas closest to the town are mostly tamed. And the further from the town you go, the more wild and dangerous they are. And I did this to, one of the things I like about old school dungeons, multi-level, you know, the mega dungeon, is that players have some agency where they can decide how dangerous they want it to be. And they can say, let's go for the big rewards by going to the lower levels. And this is just to do the same thing. If you want those bigger rewards and take that bigger risk, you just go further away from the town. If you want it to be a little bit safer, but lower rewards, because all those treasures have already been found, not all of them, but most of them, and because most of that land has already been tamed, you stay closer to the town. Anyway, that's the Bloodpour Isle campaign. The other one, the one that the whole thing is named for, is the Crowfield campaign. And in Crowfield, Crowfield's a town. It's a your typical fantasy D&D town. And one day, there's a bright light in the sky. And the next morning, they're surrounded by desert. And what has happened is that, unbeknownst to them, what they thought was overnight was actually the passing of 10,000 years. And really, in the game, entire civilization has built up and collapsed, making it kind of in such a far future post-apocalyptic world that it is, again, a fantasy world. Because when I read old D&D, I get that vibe, especially when Gygax starts talking about androids and stuff in the original three brown books. So anyway, this way, they have this whole town that has been kind of lifted through time and dropped right where it was before. But, uh, but in essence, you have this whole town of, of outsiders and whatever forest they were in is now desert and they don't know what's happening and when you have this whole town uh, i calculated it once like you need 16 tons of food a day so where's that food going to come from and what's happening and so the local lord is sending adventurers out left and right to figure out what's happened that's the Crowfield style. Uh, that's the Crowfield campaign. That's the one that gives the whole style its name. Uh, and then a variation of that I have is called the USS Crowfield. And this is a Star Trek Starfleet ship. Although if I were going to publish this, I would file off the serial numbers and it would be, you know, just a starship that crashes on this planet where technology doesn't work. And so it's the crew of the ship trying to survive and trying to figure out 
what they're going to do. There's no way off because, like I said, technology doesn't work. They don't have their technology, so they have to survive. They have to explore. They have to figure out how they're going to interact, if they're going to interact. Anyway, that's the USS Crowfield campaign. I just want to talk about the state of the podcast in general. Like I said, this is supposed to be Feedback Friday, but we got no feedback this week. And that's not really a big deal. In fact, normally I would just skip recording this, but the next two episodes are already recorded and scheduled, and they talk about what episode they number they are. So if I skipped this one, they would be lying. So I felt I had to do something. But yeah, we, we had no feedback, and we have we have a contest going, kind of a drawing type thing of you. Write in, call in, tell us what your favorite gaming book is. We will enter you in this drawing. We'll select one of those people at random to receive a copy of Through Dungeon Steep, which is a pretty neat little 1980s fantasy gaming handbook. It's not about any specific game or anything. It's just about little tricks and trips. Yeah, tricks and tips to do if you're running or playing in an old school style campaign. Really neat book. And like I said, all you have to do is is leave us some feedback. Let us know what your favorite gaming book is. And we've had zero entries. So zero feedback, zero entries. And I looked at our analytics today and our numbers look like they're dropping a little. Okay, it, it looks like maybe only down two or three, but we only have about 20 regular listeners anyway. So when you drop two or three, that's 10 to 15%. And I I don't know. Um, I, I said before, I do this, well, mainly I do this because I love gaming. I love talking about gaming. I love sharing my love of the hobby with others. But if there's nobody listening, am I really sharing it with anybody? And this is the thing that kind of led me to stop updating my blog. Um, I mean, I did an entry a few weeks ago, but before that, it's been, I think, since November or so. Because, again, I wasn't getting any feedback. I didn't feel like anyone's reading it. And if no one's reading it, there's no point. And if no one's listening to this, is there a point? I, I don't know. But, I mean... I think 20 is enough for me to do it, but I would love to see that number growing. I just, I don't know how to make that happen. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I joke all the time about how, how introverted and everything I am. And it's true. It's not just a joke. So I, I don't know how to go out there and raise my, my numbers. I'm not the social guy that can go on and ask people to plug my podcasts or anything. So I, I don't know if you have any ideas let me know. Send me some feedback. If, if you don't want it on the air, just say so. You know, say, don't play this, Joe. But here's some ideas for you. But some actions I'm, I'm thinking about taking, maybe to change the show to make it a little more likable. I have three things written down here. The first one is longer episodes. So I, I had some offline feedback, you know, some that feedback that said, hey, Joe, don't say this on your show. And they were saying like, in the last few episodes, how it felt like we were just getting to the topic and we ended it. And so that person would like our episodes to be longer, um, maybe like a 20 to 30 minute show. I'm not opposed. That adds a lot more editing or maybe it would actually take away editing because I wouldn't have to delete so much when we record. In fact, this show is probably going to be longer. 
So that's one thing I'm thinking about. If you think that's a good idea, let me know. If you think it's a bad idea, if you're like one of those people say, Joe, I listen to your show specifically because it's a short show. I would understand that because that is me. I love short shows. It's just so easy to fit in between the long shows and easier to add to my schedule. But hey, if you're one of those, let me know, right? If, if I don't hear from anyone, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what you want. So either way, let me know. The other thing is changing the content a little. So far, the content has largely been opinion-based. James is always suggesting other topics, but they're very fact-based. Like, um, I don't know, one of them was like, oh, he wanted to go through all the corporate changes that D&D has gone through, you know, like started out with Dave and Gary, and you know, the the full thing all the way up to, to Hasbro. I'm like... No, because anyone who's interested in that already knows because they've looked it up and they've read it. They've done the Wikipedia thing. They've done the John Peterson thing. They've done the Shannon Applecline thing. And people who aren't interested, well, they're not interested, so they're not going to bother listening to that. So I reject those things. So I'm thinking maybe the direction to go and something I would find far more interesting, the type of shows I like, is more usable gaming content. Things like how-tos and whys and, hey, isn't this an interesting idea? And uh, stuff like that. Stuff that you could take to your table and use or at least calling and tell me that's a stupid idea. Whatever. So uh, stuff like that. Also, a side effect of all this, if we go to the longest shows, I think you're going to end up with more solo episodes and less James and I episodes and that's for very practical reasons. No, I'm not firing James or anything like that. It's because, one, the longer the show is, the longer it takes to edit it, right? If you have a 20-minute show, it takes maybe an hour, hour and a half to edit it. And if you have a 40-minute long show, that's gonna you know that will be like three hours of editing and i have a full-time job and i have a part-time job and i go to the gym three days a week and you know my wife and i actually like each other so we like to spend time together so squeezing that time in and because the other part i left out of there is that when i do a show on my own it takes you know factor x to edit that but if it's james and i just the thing with two people makes it that much longer to edit because when you're like, oh, I need to chop this part out, you, you got to find it where you're doing it to both. And it, it's, it takes a little more work. Oh, and the other thing is, like I mentioned in the past, uh, we use Zencaster and Zencaster is starting to limit us on the free tier to two hours per month of recording time. So be more solo episodes, I think. Although all three of those, the longer episodes, the more usable content, the more solo episodes. Those are all just things I'm thinking. Nothing is written in stone yet. Again, let me know your thoughts on all of these things. It's all fluid and everything can change. I just thought I would tell you a little bit about what I've been doing entertainment-wise. No gaming lately, but I have seen a couple of movies lately. You did see, well, saw the Dungeons & Dragons movie a few weeks ago. There's a review on that coming up on Wednesday's episode. Uh, you'll hear it then. James and I talk about our thoughts. After that, saw the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, it was it was a kid's movie. You know, it's okay. Mm. Not going to recommend it. It's not 
high up on the list there. It was okay. After that, wife and I went out and saw Renfield with Nicolas Cage and um, that boy from the Romeo and Juliet zombie movie, uh, Warm Hearts. Warm Blood? Warm Hearts. Um, can't remember his name. Anyway, Renfield, great movie. Laughed a lot. Nice modern take on the Dracula legend. It's kind of funny. I enjoyed it. I recommend it. Tomorrow, as you listen to this, the wife and I are going out to the theater to see The Wizard of Oz. It's one of her like top three movies of all time. Wizard of Oz, The Fifth Element, and um, and something else. Huh. It'll come to me when I stop thinking about it. Oh, um, Ender's Game? Hmm. Anyway, so whenever that's out in the theater, we go see it. It's every few years they do it. And then on Tuesday, Phantom Events is doing a, another showing of The Way, which was a, I think it was 2010 movie by Emilio Estevez, written, directed type thing, starring Martin Sheen playing his father, which isn't quite a stretch. I've seen it before. I own it on DVD. It's special to me because it's about the Camino de Santiago. That's the 500-mile hike that my wife and I did. She wasn't my wife at the time. She was only my girlfriend. It was only like a year after we met. And I'm telling you, if you can hike 500 miles across Spain with somebody, they are the one for you. So that event is just something special in our life. And the movie is likewise special. So as a general movie, I don't recommend it. It's definitely not an action film. Uh, If you like sort of art house movies, you might like it. If you just want to know more about me, you might like it. I mean, I'm not in it or anything. It's just about this hike I did, but it gives you the essence. This has gone really long. I'm going to stop it here. Thanks for listening. Please, please, please uh, send me some feedback. If you have any questions about anything I've talked about, go ahead and ask them. If you have suggestions for things you want to hear in the future, let me know. Let me know what you think about this Crowfield style campaign. Let me know what you think about those ideas I talked about, like the longer episodes, um, more solo episodes, episodes with like gaming content instead of gaming opinion. Again, let me know. And don't forget to enter our contest. Just call in, write in, whatever. Let us know what your favorite gaming book is, and you'll be entered. If you don't want the book, enter anyway. And if you win, I will donate the money to some charity that you and I will work out together. That's it. Episode coming up on this Wednesday is going to be the movie review for D&D. Please tune in and listen. Thanks for all the support that you've given me. Uh, You're a wonderful audience. Thanks for that. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Decahedron RPG Cast. We'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message by calling 562-774-2278. That's 562-RPG-CAST. Or by visiting sayhi.chat slash Decahedron. You can also email us at feedback at Decahedron.com. Links are in the show notes. For more information, visit Decahedron.com. Remember that Decahedron is spelled with a K. Music is by Kevin McLeod. Logo is by Design Cat. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep those dice rolling.